0: want us to take a look today in Psalm chapter 8, the 8th Psalm. It's a beautiful example that we see of the excellency and the majesty of our God. I'm going to read the entire Psalm, beginning with the first word of the first verse. O Lord, our Lord see, we got to personalize this thing. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. How many of us would like in the coming months and years for the enemy that we face, whatever it is. However numerous they may be, but for them to be silenced, that we no longer hear their taunts and their jeers, that we no longer hear their insult in our spiritual ears, that they would be silenced. It can happen by praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Just as a child would praise the Lord, we too should praise His holy name. Verse 3 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, said, When I consider all of this, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made man to have dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the birds of the beast of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. And here in the ninth verse, it says it again, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And I'm just going to simply speak a few moments today on Psalm 8. Heavenly Father, thank you thank you so much for loving us and thank you so much for affording me today the opportunity with this people to break the majestic bread of life which is able to renew our minds. Father God we praise your holy name today. We ask that your anointing rest upon everything said and done and we give Jesus Christ all the praise and all the glory in his name we ask it. Amen and amen. When you consider the majesty of God. Some time ago, just recently, I went out on location at Arbutus Lake very near my home in Traverse City, Michigan, and I shot some footage for television of the beauty of a winter's day in northern Michigan. We could take it to any scene, anywhere, upon God's earth, that He's created so much beauty, so much awesomeness, so much splendor, so much majesty, and yet, He is above all of that in regal splendor and glory and awesomeness and majesty. The beauty of the world that God has created reminds us and bears witness to the fact that there is a God. And it should lead us to the Word of God to get to know who He is, and to get to understand Him and His ways. The beauty of the created world that we can see with our eyes pales into insignificance compared to the beauty of the heavenly world that we will one day enter if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. it is so amazing And as David, who, who wrote this psalm, David, the sweet singer of Israel, as he meditated on the majesty of God, as he meditated on creation, he expressed amazement that God would even bother with human beings. If you'll read those first four verses there, you'll see that. And then it says something very interesting. It says that God is mindful of us, even though God is the creator of the vastness of this universe and all of its royal regality and splendor and glory. All of the stars, all of the planetary bodies, and then you come to this earth and you see how everything works in perfect harmony and synchronization to where the gravity pull is just the correct amount, to where the sun is just the proper distance, the moon just the proper distance, everything in the solar system doing its proper function in order to sustain life upon earth. No, my friends, this did not just happen. There is an intelligent design God behind it all, created it all, And David is contemplating all of this. In addition to the beauty of his surroundings, he's contemplating it, he's meditating on it, and he says, what is man that you're even mindful of him? The son of man that you would visit him. And it tells us something. It tells us that in the midst of all of God's awesomeness, He cares for us. We are on His mind. He visits us. He comes to us by His Spirit. He came to us, first of all, because He sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And Jesus died on the cross to do just that. Secondly, He visits us in a personal way throughout each day by the presence of His Holy Spirit. And so David is bringing out the fact how unique and how special humanity is in the eyes and to the heart of Of an awesome God who has created everything, and yet his choice creation is man. And what's more, if you look at verses 5 through 9 of the 8th Psalm, you will see that God has given humans a significant place in the universe as the caretakers of his creation. Now, you talk about an important job. I, I talk to so many people every day and, and, and oftentimes it comes up, they would say, I wish I had a more significant job. I mean, I, I flip hamburgers at McDonald's or I, I, I do the checkout at, down at Walmart or Kmart. I just wish I had an important job. You do. If you're a Christian, you do have an important job today because God Almighty has made you a caretaker of all of His creation. You know, we need to take care of the earth. Christians, don't be throwing garbage out the window of your car as you're driving down the road. You know, my dad always taught us when, when I was a young boy, we used to cut firewood. That was all we heated with most of my young life was firewood. And we would cut firewood. And dad always taught us when you cut down a tree, plant two or three more. Some of those very seedlings are still growing out there on the property on Vondra Road today. I saw them just a few weeks ago. We're we're to be stewards of creation. We don't go nuts over the environmental movement. Hey, that's not much about really saving the planet as it does have a political agenda. That's not what I'm talking about, but we are to use good common sense that God has given us and take care of the earth upon which we live and upon which God has made us stewards. God's very glory is seen in His creation order, and it's also seen in the praise of little children, according to Psalm 8, verse 2. And that simplicity... Just the simplicity of little children praising God is what confounds God's enemies. You know, sometimes the the worst thing you can do to hurt the devil when he attacks your life, when he hits you with a problem, maybe it's a sickness in your body, maybe it's a, a financial problem, maybe it's a problem in your family with your kids, maybe with your spouse, The best thing you can do to absolutely put the hurt back on the devil is just begin to praise the Lord in the midst of whatever you're going through. Just give your praise unto God. Just praise the Lord. I heard Charles Billingsley say this a few days ago. Uh, in a program from Thomas Road Baptist Church, that great church there in Lynchburg, Virginia. He said, you know, if all you can do is praise God on the mountaintop, but you cannot praise Him in the valley, you do not know how to praise Him at all. And that is really the truth. That's absolutely 100% Bible truth. Because we need to praise God when we are under a heavy attack of the enemy. And when we do, just the very simplicity of that will confound the enemy. It will confuse the enemy. And the power of the Holy Spirit will come in and rest upon the praise. Glory be to God. And He will deliver you from the spiritual attack that you are under and if you want more verses of scripture on that you can look at Matthew 21 verses 15 and 16 look at first Corinthians chapter 1 uh, verses 27 and 29 here in Psalm 8 David begins to consider the heavens the fact that he was a shepherd gave him many opportunities to look at the vastness of the universe to ponder He pondered everything from the moon to the stars to the trees to to everything that he saw. And he can't help but ask, what is man that God is mindful of him? In comparison with the lofty grandeur of the stars and the heavens and the planetary bodies, man indeed appears to be of little significance and completely unworthy of God's attention. Yet... God has made man a little lower than the angels, the verse says. Verse 5. And that word in Hebrew is Elohim. God has made man a little lower than Himself. I want you to think of that. God has made man in His very own image. Man is a speaking spirit. And I'm still a preacher that believes you can speak to that mountain and it will be cast into the midst of the sea because God invested that power in His Word. And when we speak what God has spoken, glory to God, then there's power in that. I absolutely believe that. Glory to God. Man is a speaking spirit. Man is created in the image of God. Man was created to be the crown of God's creation and to have dominion over all living things. However, whereas the position man was once given was supreme, it has been ruined by the fall. In the garden, when Adam sinned, he was the representative man for the entire human race, and it ruined that image. However, praise God, that which the first Adam lost in the fall, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, has more than regained. And so when we place our faith in Jesus then God begins to reform us back into that original image of God that he placed within us. The the scripture uh, defines it as conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Sometime I'm going to teach on this, but for right now I just want to mention that Jesus is the true man. He is the true Israel, and he is the true church. Jesus is the perfect example of everything that we need to be. And so when we look to Him, we see what we ought to be, and only the Holy Spirit can make us that. And that's the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. So what the first Adam lost in the fall, that image that we bear because of that, The second Adam, the last Adam, more correctly, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, has more than regained. The cross was because of God's great love and desire to redeem His choice creation, mankind. Jesus is worthy. Jesus Christ will rule all of creation, and we will reign with Him, hallelujah, as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Read Romans 8, 17. And we see from verse 1 and verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth, that this psalm, Begins and ends with a declaration and an expression of the wisdom and the majesty of God. Hallelujah. I want to leave you with this. When you believe in the Bible's worldview, it restores human dignity. That's what this psalm is about. It's about human dignity. And we are of such worth and tremendous value to God that he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. That he might have restored fellowship with man, his choice creation. In this psalm, David outlines that worldview by alluding to creation, fall, redemption, and consummation singing God's covenant name, Yahweh, while reflecting on His glory above the heavens, uh, in verse 1, reminds the worshiper that God created the world as an act of covenant love. Hallelujah. Because God loves us, because God loves the human race, He gave us a beautiful place to live. Amen. Now, we've ruined it in many ways. In the name of progress, you understand, But God created all of this beauty for us. Praise the Lord. He created this world as an act of covenant love. An infinite God's particular care for humans should overwhelm anyone contemplating the heavenly expanse. We should be overwhelmed by how much God loves us in comparison and and when we view what He has created. The references in this psalm to foes, enemy, and avenger uh, in the course of our praising God for His creation reminds us that there was also a fall. See, if there wasn't a fall, there wouldn't be any enemies. Thoughts of God's creation kindness in contrast to the wrath He could have justly poured out against uh, such fallen humanity should move the sinner to repentance. The Bible proclaims in no uncertain kindness, uh, no uncertain terms, that it is the goodness of God that leads the sinner to repentance, that leads any of us to repentance. Here's my point on this. When we look at the creation... We understand the fact that God created it for man because He loved us as an act of covenant love. And then we look at the fact that there's been a fall. And we have sinned against God. And now, all of a sudden, we find ourselves with enemies and with foes and with avengers. But when we look at the kindness of our God in creating all of this glory for us, all of this beauty of creation for us, it should move us towards repentance. It should move our hearts towards repentance, just to see what God has invested in our surroundings. And then we come to the cross and we understand the purpose of the cross and we see what God has invested in us. And we take that step called repentance. We give our hearts to Christ and we are sorry for our sinful way of living. We cry out for the blood to wash us clean in holiness and it moves the heart of God. It's called redemption. Because despite their fall into sin, God still dignifies His people as the stewards of His creation. But just as Moses prophesied, man would need a Savior to overcome not only personal sin, but also to overcome the fallen condition of the creation. And so by quoting this psalm, the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament will later clarify that Christ, our Savior, is the perfect representation of the humanity described in Psalm 8. The one through whom the world was created came to restore the image marred at the fall. Read Colossians 1.15. Read Hebrews 1 and 2. Read John 1 verse 3. He empowers even the weakest of us to participate in His redemptive plan. 1 Corinthians 1.26-31 And finally we come to look at both verses 1 and 9 of Psalm 8, and they serve not only as just bookends for the psalm, but they also anticipate the end of all things. When Christ's enemies will be made a footstool for His feet, and His name will be majestic through all of the earth. Read Ephesians 1, verse 22. And so, my dear friends, today we see from this 8th psalm that God has invested so very much in us. He's He's given us a beautiful place upon which to dwell for our earth journey. He's given us a redemptive plan in the person of Christ. He's given us dominion over the works of His creation. He's given us authority in the earth. He's invested all of this in us. And all of this great divine investment should move us towards repentance. And I want to just tell you, just get down to some brass tacks here for a little minute. Not only that sinners need to repent and be saved. Of course that's true. And the greatest thing that will ever happen to you or I is your salvation. And that was the greatest thing that ever happened to Len Paxton was the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, asked Him to forgive me of my sins, and He saved my soul from hell. Hallelujah. That's the greatest. And that's truly the message that we preach to a lost and dying world. Come to Christ. Come to the cross. You need to be saved. And God has provided your salvation, hallelujah. Jesus Christ and His shed blood. But it also goes beyond that a a little further. And it shows us and tells us, and it's replete in the Word of God, that even though we are saved and born again, and Christians and followers of the Lamb, we need to continue on living in a lifestyle of repentance. You see, you are not always right. You're not always correct in your judgments about others. You're not always correct in the way you treat people, in the way you react to circumstances, and so we constantly, none of us, are always right. And we're, we are the product of a fall even though we're saved, even though we're born again, and even though the Holy Spirit is constantly at work conforming us into the image of Christ, we need to live a lifestyle of repentance before a holy God. A holy God. Awesome God. And we are not holy, but He is holy. And we need to walk with tender steps in His presence, as we seek to allow Him to change our hearts. That is the thing I suppose that God has placed on my heart right now more than anything else that I've been studying or that I've been hearing from the Holy Spirit. The the predominant thing is you need A change of heart. And only my Holy Spirit can change your heart. That's what God says. And that's not just for the other guy. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And so as we enter into this brand new year, I hope and pray that it'll be a year when we as Christians... Well, really learn how to really love like Jesus loved. Not just talk about it like we have in the past, but really love like Jesus loved. And really be motivated to understand the greatness, the awesomeness, the majesty, the holiness of our God, and how insignificant we really are without Christ And that should motivate us to live a lifestyle of repentance and reach out to others with the hope that has been given to us. And that's my prayer for this year, for every year, for the rest of my life, for the number of my days, O God, that you would use me to somehow impart not only just the truth, but the hope of the truth to everyone you bring across my path. And in those areas, Lord, where I displease you, where I judge others, where I hold grudges, where I get bitter, where I get envious, in all of those areas, God, I release that to you right now and ask you to change my heart and make me more like Jesus. That's my prayer, and that's my prayer for you that are listening at me right now. Because God wants to do something powerful in our lives. We can see it in His very creation. And we look at it and we wonder, God, how could you be mindful of little old me? But yet God loves little old you so much that He invested all of creation in you. He invested Jesus Christ in you. He invested correction in you. You see, God corrects those who He loves. He corrects His children doesn't correct the devil's kids. When we consider and begin to meditate and ponder all of these things, let's come out understanding that we don't have any worthiness of our own. It's all found in Christ. And as we consider that, the Holy Spirit will begin to glorify Jesus through our lives, and what a powerful, powerful testimony, what a powerful statement that will be to the people who are looking at this, wondering why we have such hope when the world seems to be falling apart all around us, and yet we seem to have so much hope, so much peace, so much love, so much joy. Don't let them look at us and see every little conflict we have with somebody else. Don't let them look at us and see how offended we can become. Don't let them look at us and see how bitter and jealous we are. But let them look and see the true spirit of a living God who is holy and above us. And loves us so much that he gave Jesus Christ to shed his blood to save us from our sins. Let them look at our love. The scripture says, they will know we are Christians because we love the brethren. They will know we have passed from death into life because we love one another. Hallelujah. They'll know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know that we are Christians. By our love. And the only way that we can love properly is if the Holy Spirit does it in us. And we need the help constantly of the Holy Spirit in our life. Heavenly Father, thank You for this message today. Thank You, Lord God, for giving me the privilege of opening up Your Word and standing here and preaching once again God, I ask that you would take these simple words that we have spoken, drive them to our hearts like arrows of Holy Spirit deliverance today. God, and we open up our lives to you and ask you to have your way, Lord, with us. Make us what you would desire us to be. and We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody would say, Amen and Amen.